Welcome to the Player Development Project podcast. My name is Dave Wright, co-founder and editor of Player Development Project. PDP is a website for coaches who are committed to learning, and we provide a huge library of resources which consists of cutting-edge insights from the world's most innovative player developers, coach educators, and researchers. If you want to learn from the best and join a community of like-minded coaches, then check out playerdevelopmentproject.com. On this week's Player Development Project podcast, we answer a question from our community. Hello and welcome to another Player Development Project Q&A. Um, very pleased to be joined today by Dan Wright. Dan, how are you doing? Good, thank you, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. You might be able to hear my voice is a little bit rough today, so... Stage, stage five man flu, yeah? That's right, just getting over the Swedish flu here. It's, um, okay. Yeah, the sun has come out, but unfortunately, um, I'm still feeling a little bit under the weather. It's still minus 20 or whatever. Okay, um, today's question comes from Tom. So Tom asked this question via Facebook, and the question is, does repetition aid development? Okay, well, I mean, in a way, it's a pretty straightforward question. Um, because I suppose repetition is really, really key for development. Um, but then it's how we understand repetition. So straight away, the ideas of repetition without repetition become uh, really crucial. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think, like you said, the, the simple answer is yep. But the, the complex answer is repetition of what? Um, so the idea of you know, you strike in 50 balls into the goal and then you'll be able to play in the Premier League is, is, is not going to work. So uh, you're right, we do need to talk about repetition without repetition and, and probably, um, you know, what we want the players to be able to do. Um, so we're probably going to talk a little bit about techniques and skills as well, which is, um, you know, some buzzwords that coaches use a lot. And so I think that'd be quite interesting to dive into. So do you want to explain kind of what repetition without repetition means for you and, and how it means, you know, what it looks like in a practical sense? Yeah, I think for me, it means the environment is always changing. Um, so rather than passing between two static cones, um, you're passing um, with defenders moving, you're passing with change in spaces because you're running. Um, you've got opposition uh, moving, you've got teammates that are opening up for passes, you've got passes that are on and then they're not on. Um, so in an environment like that, um, which is more, more dynamic, then you're going to get repetition of passing, uh, but every pass is going to be different. Um, so I think there's the scale then of, of how different is each pass and how similar it is each pass. And I think this becomes um, key for coaches to consider because you might want to replicate a certain situation in the game over and over um, to get you know kids used to say let's say receiving back foot and then playing a pass so having a good um, body shape and a good position in order to receive with their back foot and play mm -hmm. forward now you can do that in lots of different ways in a recent webinar that we did we showed how you could do that traditionally it's been done in like an ix square but then how you can also bring that same um, opportunity for action, that same movement, that same pass to life, but in a situation that is much closer to the game and therefore more realistic. 
which is the idea behind representative design as well, which is really that the information in the environment is relative to what you'd find in a game. Um, so I think that might be <laughs> a brief insight into my understanding of repetition without repetition. Yeah, I think um, it, it's quite a, a, a difficult thing to explain, but um, coaches talk a lot about techniques. So what what techniques the players need, you know, to strike a ball, to receive a ball um, in different scenarios. And I think that implies that there is a, a perfect technique, you know, a, a master technique, a textbook technique, or wh whatever kind of phrase you want to use. But then the reality is that technique is different for every single player. So I think, you know, Cruyff talks about technique being an execution of a decision. So in gymnastics, technique is, you know, there is a perfect technique of how you do a, a forward flip or a handstand. I don't, I don't, I don't know what it is, but, but there is. Whereas in football, how you send the ball between two players, you know, to assist a, a forward run might look different if you're Iniesta, if you're David Beckham, if you're, you know, Neymar. Yep. Um, so <clears throat> I think I've stopped using the word technique because I'm not sure what it means. Um, technique for me would be like close skills, maybe a free kick, a penalty, a throw. I think there are probably really good guidelines and principles of how you do that technique. But the technique of, of receiving the ball back foot, like you just said, well, that would look different if I was Lukaku or if I was Iniesta. They don't receive in the same way because they're different people. Yep. And so they've had to adapt to what they're good at and what, you know, what the game affords them the opportunity to do. So I think the idea, you know, if you want to talk about affordances, I think that would link in quite nicely with this sort of repetition of what kind of idea. Yeah, definitely. I think a couple of things that you bring up there, which are really spot on, the difference between a, a closed skill and an open skill. Um, so you could ha certainly have what we think of as traditional repetition for a closed skill, like a, a free kick, even though every free kick is going to be different depending upon um, the placement of the ball in relation to the goal and the wall and all those kind of things. But then also, say, a penalty kick might be even more closed again. Um, but I think our job as coaches is normally to develop the open skills of the game. Um, which is then all about um, that that dynamic environment. Um, mm. and so, so in that in that dynamic environment, you talked about um, space and time, and, and 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 dynamic means you know players moving and affording <coughs> different things at different times, right? Is that is that a good way to explain it? So, if I'm a midfielder and people drop off, the options could be X Y Z, and if I'm a midfielder and people you know come and press me tight, the options might be A B C. So it's yeah. kind of designing sessions where there's a reason why you pass the ball rather than you must pass the ball like this. So we've got to kind of create the why. Is that, is that another good way to kind of explain it when we're talking about session design? Um, yeah, that's, I think it's, you want to paint the picture in the session whereby the solution is, is the solution is what you would like the athletes to repeat. Mm -hmm. um, so, what we should do is paint the uh, paint the picture in the session so that the same affordance is available mm -hmm. um, over and over and over and over. So the players get to then explore that affordance, um, and they get to decide how best they utilise that affordance. So the example that we attempted to give in the webinar was again of the I suppose being able to be in time and space to take uh, a back foot touch that moves you forward, mm -hmm. um, like maybe beyond the defender, maybe into the next line, for example. Let's use that as an example. So 
to shine a light on that affordance, you need some key things. You need a pass, first and foremost, um, mm -hmm. and then you need a defender. Um, because the defender uh, is the reference point for where you stand in order to take a first touch to go beyond the defender. Mm -hmm. um, and we might need some more guidelines. If we just work with two attackers and one defender, then we, we might need to put some constraints in to make sure that it appears like a realistic picture. But in that scenario, we should get lots of repetition of a pass going to the back foot or going in, in that area, affording the opportunity for that. Then, if we scale that up, we can do that again in, um, in a 3v2 scenario. Um, if you design it again so that you have like a, a pivot player or a base player, and then you have your two wide players and your two defenders, and you're going to get this ball going out wide again. So there's the opportunity. Um, you're shining a light on that opportunity. So you're getting a repetition of that opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, you might then add in um a joker on the other side and it becomes a target game where the ball goes back and forth like we showed on the on the webinar so then you've got kind of uh 2v2 in the middle uh with jokers on either end which is a very simple in a way simple positional game or a target game a pendulum game whatever you want to call it uh, but all the while it's shining a light on the uh, ability or the opportunity to to get the ball and play in a certain way but even those really simple pictures, there's going to be a lot of variability, isn't there? So, you know, if the defender drops off half a metre more, that might give you opportunities to do different things. Or if he's really tight, you set it back and you go out the other side. Exactly. And I think, and I think that there's a balance between you designing a practice that is representative and kind of letting the players explore and experiment in whatever other language you want to use versus there are these three set passes and I'm going to show you what they are yeah. because there's a danger then you're affecting the decision making of the players rather than giving them a chance to explore and find the solutions yeah. and do you know what that works for me I put my hand up and I can protect it and I'm fine and somebody else might say I've got to play one touch and get the other side yeah. and it's in my opinion not really the coach's place to say this is exactly how you do it because if the players are getting the ball from A to B which is the, the football problem why do we need to? Why do we need to correct it? If they're doing it in a uh, appropriate, if there's appropriate solution to the football problem, then yeah. we don't need to. We don't need to tell them this is the perfect technique. You should have done this. That's right. And again, I think when you dive into the realities and the complexities around that, then are the defenders defending in a realistic manner? Because they they are really essential to painting the picture, which then leads to the opportunity for action. So if the mm. defenders are all over the place leaving gaps here, leaving spaces, pressing in the wrong moments, then you're not shining a light on a realistic affordance or a realistic opportunity. Um, so then we have to be able to manage that as well. And then depending on where the players are at, we might have to really, really shine a light on the opportunity to, to play in a certain way. So for example, a lot of young players that I've worked with struggle to uh, take a back foot touch or, or touch with their attacking foot whatever you want to call it or the foot furthest away um on their weak side um to be open up on, on their weaker foot and play forward so and they will they will self-organize around that so mm -hmm. that they can perform well they'll they'll do everything else um but not experiment with that so then we might have to be a little bit uh, more prescriptive within the session and maybe use a constraint which is hey it's only a point 
if you receive with the foot furthest away or the back foot and play forward. And by the way, like um, Johnny, you're going to play on this side just for mm -hmm. the next five minutes because then I know that he's going to get repetition of trying that. that that's um, a really nice example of team constraints or task constraints that are for the whole team and individual constraints because mm. it might only be that Jimmy Vaughan's got a problem receiving on his left foot so that constraint <laughs> so that constraint and, and so do I um, so that constraint is just for you so Jimmy yeah. for you to score today you've got to receive this foot and then it's up to you how you score yeah. but everybody else you carry on so that, that that again is like the skill of the coach isn't it you know giving every individual player what they need within the session I think um I think it's worth mentioning that the, the webinar that you've discussed a few times is the, the members webinar number two, which was the, the fundamentals of session design, which was a discussion between um, you and I and Dave Wright, where we each took a session that was a drill. It was quite a, a traditional practice, whether it was around mannequins or around a diamond or a square. And just an example of how we made that more um, representative and more real and perhaps, you know, even sessions that we would use with, with kids that we coach. Um, any any sort of final thoughts for this one? Any any sort of major takeaways? Is it worth talking about um, times where you would do uh, pure repetition or, or or play where you know it's just a ball on the wall and we'd encourage kids to practice on their own because we, we we've got a lot of content from uh, I know Harry Kiel talked about you know practicing the park and trying to hit trees and so I think it's important to sort of present that that balanced um, yeah. message, isn't it? Definitely, I think if kids want to go away and work on that stuff. Um, if they want to go and do it, they should go and do it. Um, so I think we talk about intrinsic motivation. I think if, if they want to go and kick the ball against the wall, if they want to go and work on a, a certain um, skill or a certain technique, whatever you want to call it, then certainly that's, that's massively valuable. The difference being when you're in a coaching session, as you know, with like 12 players, 10 players, 16 players, um, then there is much more to be gained by being in realistic situations uh, that are more representative of the game rather than being in those really, really isolated situations. Um, I, think, um, I think a sweet spot is when you design a practice that kind of tests the players or challenges the players, not so that they can't do it, but just so it's on that, that sort of edge. Mm -hmm. And then they go, I really need to work on this. Yeah. And you go, cool. You can do that like in your own time or you can do that, you know, when we have individual practice. But when you've got, and it's especially like in a grassroots environment, when you've got one training session a week with 14 kids, I would try and do as much of that as realistic as possible. So it doesn't mean 100% opposed, but is it dynamic? Is it, you know, chaos interference? So the kids are getting loads of practice of, you know, receiving pressure or, or beating players. And then hopefully, like I said, the sweet spot is you design a practice where Jimmy gets to the end of practice and goes, Dad, I really need to work on my left foot. I'm really struggling. And then that would be, OK, go away, ball on the wall, go away to the park or go and grab your mate in, uh, in the playground and practice that, practice that. And then can you transfer that to the game? Yeah. Um, so I think it's important to say, like, you know, we're not we're not advocating that it's always 100 percent opposed and it's always games based and it's always, you know, a 4v4 because because it's not. Um, and I don't think when we're talking about elite players, I don't think any elite player has made it just from training sessions. I don't think that that will be enough. I don't think you can just, you know, train four hours a week and then, you know, yeah. you'll be the next, the next Pele. Um, exactly. you, you, so that, that other repetition is important. And I think also from, um, I've talked about this before, I, I've seen psychological benefits to um, 
more traditional isolated repetition, especially with um, the examples I've got in my head are forwards feeling the ball and hitting the back of the net. So there'll be times where it would be quite unrealistic or quite slow, but to get that real feel of striking the ball, goal, 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 that can just help them go into it in a post practice. It's also something I've done with heading as well. I think heading in a game is quite daunting and quite like the, the, the timing and you know you only get kind of five of those a game, you get it wrong, you get the first one wrong, it can it can affect you. So heading is, is something you can build up, I think, where you, you do practice with a soft ball or you practice with you and your mate playing head tennis and then you know maybe a, a fun game where it's you have to score with a header or head head tennis or something like that. That's quite a nice um, explanation of moving up the spectrum and then can you do it in a, in a 4v4, can you do it in a phase of play or a unit and, and going straight in. So to say, you know, you're going to head of the ball like a, a world-class centre-back and just get on with it at age 12, I think is is also probably not true. So I think it's important that we, we sort of share that sort of balanced approach. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. I think the the question for people to consider when they're doing that is around learning versus performance. Because I think the, the idea or the example you give with, say, the strikers is that they're repeating something um, so that they can perform better on the weekend. Uh, and maybe they're repeating it just before they go into the game. So they get that feel, they get that confidence moving forward so that they can perform at their best. Whereas the other way, um, the other type of repetition, which is more, the more dynamic, we're recommending that for learning, mm -hmm. which is very different from performing because it will look messy, it will go wrong. Um, Loads of mistakes. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So there's a, a clear, oh, I mean, and, and this is a spectrum. So they're not, it's not one or the other, like our, our session is going to sit somewhere on this spectrum. It might be slightly more towards performance. It might be slightly more uh, or hopefully more towards learning the majority of the time. But it also depends what you're trying to learn. In a session I did recently, I needed the players to understand what a good pass was and to have a shared understanding among the group. Well, what is a good pass? What does that mean? So we did something which would be closer to performance of a good pass so everyone understood and were comfortable. They repeated that. They were confident they could do a good pass. So that when we went into the part of the session which was really learning and it was really more in a dynamic environment and shining a light on a specific opportunity or affordance, then I was confident and they were confident that the passing wasn't going to hold them back. Does that make sense? For sure, yeah. Uh, it, it goes to show, doesn't it, like how we open this question. The simple answer is, yeah. The complex answer is we could talk about this for, yeah. for an hour. So I think it's it's the skill of the coach, isn't it, to move up on that spectrum depending on what the team needs, what the individual needs. And then there might even be, you know, we've talked about whole part whole before. So this is the whole sort of football problem or, or you know, thing we're trying to achieve together. We're going to break it down and it might be breaking it down into smaller simpler pictures or it might be breaking it down for different players okay so you forwards are going to work on this your midfielder is going to work on this put that back together and, and see how it works um so it's uh it's a really really complex one any sort of final takeaways you, that you'd give for tom before we wrap up no i think i think we've covered uh, covered it pretty well okay uh, mate, well you, you can get back to your lem sips now and get get back to bed but uh <laughs> thank, thank you very much for your time today yeah it's a pleasure cheers mate yeah Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. 
Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.